Hello and welcome to Meet at the Mitt podcast. It is Saturday, May 27th. It is a beautiful morning. It is 7.32 a.m. here on the West Coast. It is 10.30 on the East Coast. I am joined by Anders Jorstad and Zach Mason. And the Mariners lost last night. I'm not going to lie. It was, pretty, it was a pretty brutal, brutal loss. Kirby got rocked a little bit. Before we get into that, we wanted to start it off with something something a little light, a little brevity for the morning. So Durs <laughs> has an intro question for us. Well, first of all, Evan, I want to thank you for providing me with an alibi by giving an exact time that we were recording at. So that'll be very <laughs> useful for me later on. Um, I have a question for both of you, which is I, I, I mentioned in our little like pre-pod banter that I had just finally started Zelda Breath of the Wild. And I promise we will not be talking about video games for this whole podcast. So if you don't like video games, don't worry. But I wanted to ask you guys, if you could play one game again for the first time, what would it be? I can answer that very easily. So I want to hear what Zach has to say first. Uh, I think I would play um, Mario Kart Rainbow Road just for the like the spectacle yes. of it. You know, it's like it's such a beautiful <laughs> like there's so much artistry going on there that I think I would be, you know, really wowed by that. That's a good pick. Um, honestly, Rainbow Road, Mario Kart, like on 64 especially, is definitely a core memory for me. So I respect that answer greatly. Um, I have. I have a couple of answers to that, but I think the the obvious answer, like the real answer is Mario 64, because really, when you think oh, yeah. about it, everything comes back to that first time you hold that awkward N64 controller <laughs> and run around as Mario in like in the, the, the world outside the castle. It all clicks. I think that legitimately I like video games because that still clicks with me so hard. And I, I still like that game. Like I own various versions of it. I still have an N64 cartridge somewhere. I have the Switch version. I have it on emulation, like game rules. But what about you, Durs? I think for me, you know, the most nostalgia for me is tied to a specific game, but I don't think that's like the answer to the question necessarily. Um, so I think I'd probably go back to the first Fire Emblem game I played, which was Radiant Dawn for the Wii. I just love that franchise. It's so much fun. Um, and I've, I was telling Evan I've beaten that game seven times in my life. But um yeah, for me, for me, especially when the Mariners are playing poorly, video games are such like a nice uh, respite. It's funny because Evan, I, uh, you and I are Switch friends, and I notice like when the Mariners are getting the crap beaten out of them, I'll see that you have also logged on to your Switch. <laughs> okay, so we're both coping right now. <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah. you must have played a lot of video games if that's your habit when the Mariners are bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, you know, when I was like in high school, I'd just go play the show because I was like, I would I would rather like control a good baseball narrative than like have to watch a bad one. But now it's just like, I don't even want to think about baseball, but I'll still like, I don't know what you do, Evan. I'll still like have the game on in front of me, but I just won't be like as emotionally tied to it, especially like last night when, you know, when I went to bed last night, they were down seven to two and I was just like, all right. Uh, this is not worth <laughs> staying up for on the East Coast. Um, and I guess that's probably what you want to talk about next, Evan. So I'll let you lead into that. Well, the honest thing is being on this podcast, I feel guilty admitting how often I do occasionally turn, tune the game out. And it's I don't usually stop paying attention, but I do frequently stop watching and I'll switch to radio because my attention span drifts. And it's like, I still want to know how it goes, but I also want to do something else. And so, um, yeah, that's how you wind up with me, who's like a compulsive radio listener. But I, I do watch every game as much as I can. But let's talk a little bit about yesterday because... Yesterday broke my heart a little bit in a bunch of ways. First off, because there were all these like very specific records that George Kirby has set for like, uh, I believe he gave up four home runs in a game to Baltimore last year. And then since then, in 130 innings, has given up uh, like two home runs, something substantially less than four. And then he gave up more last night than he had in that entire span prior to that. So that's really sad. Um, it's really the first time he's had a bad blow up getting shelled type outing really ever i mean if you go back to last year he was a rookie and that really only happened in the first four or five starts of his career and since he kind of like turned the page and figured it out he's never looked back so there is some consternation over that and i think i'm gonna preach patience but i want to hear i want to hear what zach thinks about last night in particular because when i was watching that my thought was this could have gone the other way so easily 
Um, am I just coping with that because I love George Kirby or was last night not as bad as the seven runs makes it seem? No, I, th- I think you're right that like it really could have gone the other way because my big takeaway was that like the ball is flying now. I mean, that has been sort of our the thing that we've been saying over and over again about the early part of the season is that like the Mariners offense is very home run dependent and they have been performing more poorly than you would expect them to for a lot of the players. And a lot of that has to do with like underperforming their expected statistics. And a lot of that is because of the Marine layer and the balls are just like not going out. And even when they're not playing in Seattle, they've been playing in like the Northeast and the upper Midwest and in April and early May, that's a problem. But like the weather is turning. And I think last night was like starting to see the results of that. And so I think that that, there's like a lesson to take away in both directions from that. One is that the offense is, I think there's every reason to believe they'll start clicking again. Like it's a very home run dependent offense. And if the balls are able to get over the fence a little bit, I think that's going to start happening with more regularity. We've got a couple of like day games today and tomorrow. I think there's a good chance we see more of that. Um, and the other direction is that like the pitcher, the pitching staff is not going to look as gaudy by some of the like home run dependent statistics, most notably Fangraphs war, which we've talked about a few times now, like that's going to start to come back down to earth. Like the Mariners pitching staff is not quite as good as it seems like they have been, even as they've been very good. And I think it's reasonable to say that they're the best in the league. I don't think it's like obvious that they're the best in the league and they're not the best by as big of a margin as some of those stats would lead you to believe like that's going to start to come back to earth. And I think yeah. So yes, last night could have gone the other way. I think that's very true. It, you know, the Mariners getting shelved does not bum me out quite as much as when like winnable games slip away and they lose by one or two runs. Um, especially when it's like to a national league team, it's just those games happen. It's just not that big of a deal. Um, I have some things to say about Kirby, but Durst, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, could have gone the other way idea. Yeah, it's a very weird. I mean, yesterday was a weird game in general because like Jack, Jack Sawinski has been a stat cast darling for most of the season so far. He's got like incredible under the hood numbers. But, you know, to see him homer twice is a little bit surprising because he hasn't been really putting it together yet. And I think that's just one example of, you know, there were a lot of players for the Pirates yesterday who really showed out that to this point haven't really, you know, put together gaudy offensive numbers by any stretch and certainly against George Kirby who by the way in giving up those four homers yesterday has now officially evened out his home run to fly ball rate (laughs) so he's like back to what is expected basically he's at like nine percent so I guess that's like one way to look at it is he was just getting all of his regression out in one start uh I I do think it's weird there was a lot of allegations that the baseball was juiced yesterday because all around baseball there were like stupid offensive numbers has that actually been confirmed or was that just like a, a oh, no, that's just people. Thing? People just okay. love to talk about their conspiracy theories around <laughs> the ball because and because like Major League Baseball has made it so easy for them to do because they actually have done these sketchy things before. So people are like at the drop of a hat. will say, oh, that's what's going on here. But no, there's well, no actual funny. information about that. By the time I woke up this morning, it had like the people of Twitter had like concluded that it was the the case that the ball was juiced for like one day. <laughs> and so that's why I, I had to ask. I was like, oh my God, everyone seems so certain. Everyone's like, oh, you know, typical Rob Manfred, you know, just juicing the ball for one game. Okay, so it's not confirmed. That, that's Yeah, I don't think you can confirm it within like that short of a period of time. Like you need to actually collect <laughs> the balls and analyze them before, or like, that's I guess, get point. an insider whistleblower or something. But that's true. It's true. It is funny that Isabel managed to start a conspiracy that you caught on to. So we, we appreciate that. <laughs> okay. So it's all her fault. I'll make sure to blame her later. I will say, Evan, I know you've been tracking the Mariners running WRC plus over the season. They got up to a nice 99 after the A series, they're back down to 98, but you were, I mean, we've talked about on this podcast and in many other places at lookout landing that, Oh, if the Mariners just have a league average offense with the pitching staff, they have, they should be amazing. Well, they have a league average offense and they have a great pitching staff and it's, it hasn't been amazing yet. So I, I guess my question is like, what 
is the what is the crux of the issue right now? Is it just that like the the facets of this team can't click together all at once? Because yeah, six runs for the Mariners is actually a pretty good total, but you know the pitching for once wasn't there to back them up. Um, so is it just a matter of like we need everything to be good at once, or is this like is there an issue that I'm not really considering right now? Let me handle. Let me handle this one real quick, and then we'll get. I want to get back to your point on on Kirby Zach, but I, I have a note for this because B posted. Um, actually, it was a, a, t- a comment from one of our lookout landing readers from Thunder PC, and he pointed out that the Mariners are currently ninth in offense this month with May uh, with a 108 WRC plus. Their WRC plus last year, when they were the seventh best team in the league by the time the year ended, was 107. So. To your question, why are we not seeing it all yet? I think the short answer is that we are slowly starting to see it. It is very, very slowly starting to come together. They were below average all of April and really for the first month of May, or excuse me, for the first week or two of May. They have pulled it together. They're above average now, and that number is slowly climbing. Because you said 99. 99 is higher than it's been all year. We've been, you know, we've been doing that bit with John and Kate, and it's been between 94 and 97 the whole time. So if they've gotten it above that, they're doing better. I think there is evidence that the team is hitting like they were last year. And the, that resemblance to last year's number gives me a lot of optimism because they were a good offensive team last year. And if they can replicate that performance... Uh, going forward you know forget what's past us the past what's happened has happened the Mariners were not very good offensively for the first six weeks of the season but the the numbers say hey they've kind of corrected this to some degree they've played better than average for a couple weeks now and if they can sustain that in conjunction with the pitching they will be fine now the question is can they sustain the pitching Zach Kirby's been nails all year Last year was really the first aberration in that. What did you see? Yeah, I mean, I think he wasn't that bad. Like, his pitches didn't look as sharp. You know, they just, like, the fastball was a little less, like, just looked a little less explosive. The, like, the the breaking balls just looked like they were, like, there was less bite on them. I don't know. It's, like, you look at the numbers, and it's not like anything was, like, drastically off. Um, But he just looked like he wasn't his sharpest self. And that's, you know then you get like a fluky situation where the pirates were just also on one. And that's what's going to happen is that the ball's going to fly out every once in a while. And this was the game where that happened. Um, you know, a lot of the pitches that the pirates made really good contact on were on the edge and they were like small misses, but um, I mean, they were misses, but they were small misses and that's just not, something that I think in the long run is that big of a deal. I think Durs, you're right that it was just like a lot of regression catching up with him at the same time. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about him more broadly, just that the swing and miss isn't there. And I don't think that's based on him pitching that differently than he did last year when he was getting a lot more swing and miss. And that's got me a little bit concerned about like his long-term prospects. Um, You know, he might just be like a, low strikeout guy and there's that's that can be a valuable pitcher but it's not the kind of like potential Cy Young winner that I think a lot of us were hoping he might be based on what he did last year so um you know last night's like balls getting hit over the fence was not that big of a deal to me but I think long run I'm a little bearish on Kirby compared to where I was to start the year what do you think Anders you bearish on Kirby after what you saw I'm just being clear here. Bearish is a bad is the bad one, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I always get bullish and bearish confused. I'm sorry. Um, I would say that I agree in the sense that, you know, we had been talking about Kirby on on this podcast and elsewhere as like a Cy Young candidate. And I think, you know, if you look at like before this start, people were talking about Kirby as a potential starter for the All-Star game. So I guess in theory he is still on that trajectory if you remember famously you know felix being the last mariner cy young winner was not an all-star the season that he won the cy young award um but i i would say that i'm a little bit down on curry because of what zach mentioned here with the swing and miss just being not what we expected he has kind of turned into more of a contact suppressor um which is fine you know he's getting results but it's not the kind of player that is an ace and i was thinking that last night his to me last night his control was a little bit off um, and not just because he like walked one guy, but because like he was getting into counts that we don't normally see him get into hitter friendly counts. And it seemed like he just wasn't spotting the fastball. I mean, that first 
home run by Andrew McCutcheon was like a fastball, basically right in the heart of the zone, which is not the kind of thing that Kirby generally does. He's very good at dotting the corners. And so that's kind of what I chalk up yesterday to was I just don't think he had the fastball command that he is used to having, which, you know, for for everyone else, that's like average command. But <laughs> for him, it's like very noticeable when that's like a key part of what he does is he just spots things very well. Well, um, the margin for error is so much smaller when that's what you're doing. Which is also right. true, right? If you're not a strikeout pitcher anymore, then yes. If you're not being, if you're not capable of suppressing contact because you're not able to spot those pitches, yeah, like you said, it's you're just going to get blown up. And that's what happens to those pitchers, right? Like you see it with yeah. everybody with this profile, Miles Michaelis, you know, Marco, like they, they will have these games where they only give up like one or two runs over eight innings. And then the next game they just get shelled because if something's just right. a little bit off, it like really doesn't work. And I think if, if Kirby's going to do this approach, then what you're, what you're looking for is Sandy Alcantara, right? And, and specifically yeah. Sandy Alcantara last year. And I think we mentioned this even on a previous episode that like that is maybe who Kirby is trying to emulate more or less. Cause Sandy, Sandy's kind of like a throwback to an old, old school pitcher in the sense that he just goes deep into games, you know, but he, he may throw eight innings of one run ball with five strikeouts. And like, that might be kind of where Kirby is headed, but what we would need then is for him to be able to go deep into these games. Um, well, and he so. has, I mean, this was the first time he hadn't gone six since his first start of the year, which it's like a pretty impressive stretch for a guy in his second year. Yeah, I definitely think that that's true. Um, do you guys think this is an intentional change for Kirby? I think that's kind of the question. Is he trying specifically to turn into a contact suppressor, or is this just kind of the result of him just not having the stuff that he had last year to this point? I think it's pretty consistent with the profile that we saw last year. It's just that last year the results were so good. I think I sort of think maybe last year was just like a you know, pitchers have like really good seasons once in a while. And I wonder if like Kirby just got that happening really early. And to like compare him to the pitchers just really quickly, because I said those names, I want to be clear. Like, I think George Kirby is a better pitcher than Marco Gonzalez and Mike Miles Michaelis. Like he's a better version of that profile. I was just trying to like give some high profile examples of what that profile looks like and why it like when it doesn't work, it really doesn't work. I don't want people to come away thinking that those were like <laughs> the right comps for Kirby. I think Alcantara is like a good version and those are the bad version. Sure. And and I, I, I also think to the point that you made about like last year, he was better. I think that there is something to a rookie pitcher comes up and no one has really a good scouting report on him. Then they're able to kind of be better than they would otherwise. And we've seen that especially be the case in debuts. And I think there's a lot of, not a lot of, but I think there is some concern that that's what's happening with Bryce Miller right now. Mm -hmm. And even though he's done it against very good lineups and Bryce Miller is a very different pitcher, but even though he's done it against very good lineups, I think there is some concern that this is kind of like a circumstance of, of, of newness, so to speak. And that's kind of why sophomore slumps quote unquote are a thing in the first place, right? Is because for both hitters and pitchers, teams get a, a scouting report on you and they know how to attack you. We're seeing this with Julio right now. I think we are maybe seeing this with Kirby right now in terms of the, the whiff rates. So I'm curious it's, if if this is a slump or if this is kind of what we should start to expect him to be more like a seven, a seven ish strikeout per nine guy. It's it's so strange because like there's evidence in both directions. And I think it's just gonna take some time to see you know who George Kirby really is. Like if you look at like his individual pitches, they're all very, very good pitches. And he commands them really well. So you know, I mean, the fastball is like a fast fastball. The slider breaks more than average in both directions. The the sinker has like more run on it than basically anybody in baseball. I mean, maybe that's an exaggeration, but it's like it's a plus amount of movement on his sinker. Um, like there's there's plenty of reason to think that there should be more swing and miss. Um, but he just like has never really shown that even last year when he was striking out a batter per nine like his his whiff rate was below average so i just think it's gonna it's gonna take some time to to see and you know you look at logan gilbert and like sometimes these guys they just like they spend a couple years in the league and they get better they figure something out so i'm glad you mentioned logan actually because he's a guy where i have really been skeptical that he has another gear and he seems to be finding it this year and I'm both that's a great development for the team the fact that he's striking out more hitters and really taking on the he's really been the team's best pitcher over the last month like I don't he's think that's playable yeah straight up um especially after last start that was just unbelievable but in terms of Kirby 
If you look at his numbers this year, everything is borderline identical to last year. He is down two strikes per nine, but he has cut the walk rate in half when it was already at 1.5. Kirby is a maniac. Like, who does that? I, I actually was looking up, and this is a fun, a fun little piece of Mariners lore. But the Mariners signed Carlos Silva after the year in which he had single digit walks. He went through a full season as a starting pitcher and only walked nine hitters. My impression is there's only other been one other pitcher to do that, and it was Cliff Lee. So when we're talking about George Kirby, I think that the strikeouts are key and the swing and miss is key in terms of his long-term effectiveness. But I think what we're seeing this year in particular is him being effective by whatever means he can use. And Zach, you and I talked a couple of weeks ago. I think it was it was probably almost exactly a month ago now. I mentioned Kirby. Kirby had finally rounded into the form that we had kind of been missing since last year. I think that generally this year he has looked a little bit off, that he hasn't quite had the command that he had last year. And that's even including the fact that he's still walking half as many guys. I think that just in terms of total effectiveness, he has not quite matched that level. Even still, he's been this good. He's been this stingy. He's been, you know, one of the top... 15 starting pitchers in, in Major League Baseball. I think that we have to take the good with the mixed in a situation like this and be like, mm-hmm. hey, if Kirby's not going to be at his best all the time, he's still going to be one of the top 20 pitchers in the American League. I'm going to I'm going to take that right. I'm going to I'm going to take that to the bank. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like we're, we're talking about him being a little down on him, but it's only relative to expectations and what he did last year. You know, he's like on pace for like a four to five win season by either you know, runs allowed or fifth based um, metric. So, he, I mean, he's very good pitcher, even if this is what he is. It's just, he's, you know, different. And he, I think there was and continues to be some reason for hope that he's an elite pitcher. If he doesn't reach that ceiling, like he's still very, very good. McDougal Bats. McDougal Bats is a Bend, Oregon based baseball and softball bat company, family owned. They are big Mariners fans and they build baseball bats and softball bats that are fantastic to use for your own league. If you have kids that are getting into their seasons now, I think we're in at this point, you know, we are approaching summer ball. I know at least in the Seattle area, we're, we're sort of in the midst of the high school seasons and, and middle school seasons. But if you have wood bat leagues, those typically get started around Memorial Day, at least for baseball. I think it is very worthwhile. Uh, one of the big perks on a McDougal bat is that they have a longer sweet spot and they are designed to last for really as long as you keep swinging that bat. Though they are not a composite bat, they essentially are incredibly sturdy. They are not liable to break on you. I actually have now a McDougal bat that I am excited to be cracking open this coming weekend getting into games so i'm i'm excited to track my stats here if you go to mcdougal bats that's m-a-c-d-o-u-g-a-l-l bats.com and order a bat if you use the discount code g-o-m-s that's go m's you will get 15 dollars off your order and we will be very pleased we'll get a little extra bonus from that as well so go check them out but let's talk about the guy who has taken a step. Tell me what you're seeing from Walter. Again, that last start was, I think, the most impressed I've ever been from him. Uh, there was this anecdote in the, in the post game where Scott was telling Logan about how really the whole pitching staff, how when they hit 80 pitches, um, he's going to pull them. So he wants them to kind of like gas themselves and expend that last energy. And he pulled Logan in the eighth and Logan said, I was only at 77 pitches. You didn't give me a chance. <laughs> Um, but what did you see from Logan that start? And obviously the strikeout stuff has ticked up and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it's it's really the the increase in strikeouts that I'm most happy about. But also like he's doing all three things at the same time. He's striking batters out, not walking, and he's managing contact. And that's like the contact is still the weakest part of his game, but he's doing a much better job at it. Um, there were articles yesterday, um, both uh, at our own lookout landing from Kate and then also on The Athletic about Logan having rounded it to a bit more of a ground ball pitcher thanks to a change in his pitch mix. And I think the splitter in particular has been really helpful with that, although also his slider. The thing with Logan is that I feel like the word that people use have been using with Logan Gilbert is steady because like he like he's a guy who very 
you know what you're getting with Logan Gilbert. That's been what, what's been true of him the last two years. And he has taken a step forward from steady. And that's I, like, I just don't think that word is like quite right anymore because of how good that he's been. Um, the statistic that really jumps out to me is that he's got four pitches with a league average or better CSW, which is called strikes plus whiffs divided by the, the total number of pitches that you throw. That's insane to have four pitches like that. And putting it all together at the same time against the A's this week was, I, I, it was among the best outings I've seen from him in, in three years at this point. And the A's are so bad that I think it all kind of gets wrapped together, but their offense is quietly not terrible. Like they, they have a, a yeah. competent offense for a, you know, below average team. The reason that, the A's are a disaster is that their pitching staff is like historically bad, um, which I think actually puts like a little bit of a damper on like picking through Thursday as an endpoint for the Mariners offense, because like every team's offensive numbers are going to look a little better after coming off four games playing the A's. Um, but yeah, the, the, their offense is okay. Brent Rooker is on a, a, having a great year. Ryan Oda's good. Um, you know, Seth Brown is back. Like they, that's a real lineup. That's that's a major league lineup, even if they're not like good. Um, and Logan just manhandled them, and that's what we've been seeing over and over again. And I think the reason that I'm so encouraged is that his fastball has been ticking up the last two starts. He started the year around 94 miles an hour, and like it just seems like it was taking time to ramp up. It wasn't like quite linear, but you could tell it was getting faster as the year was going on. And these last two starts, he's been over 96, which is where he was last year when his fastball was one of the best pitches in baseball. And it, it hasn't been so far this year, but I think now that the velocity is back, like it's going to be again. And now that he can pair that with the splitter, which we talked about at length on this podcast before, and is like way better than I was expecting it to be, having looked at it in like a fair amount of depth. Uh, I think Logan is the complete package. He's been, we, you were saying he's been the, the best pitcher. I think he's been the best player. I think if the Mariners got one all-star, he would be the pick. Um, I, and I don't think it's particularly close. I hope they have more than one all-star. <laughs> it really... would be something people talked about forever if Julio was not an all-star at the all-star game in Seattle. I, yeah. And I don't want to think about that because there's been a lot of hand wringing about whether like Julio has been pressing because he really wants to make the all-star game or whatever. I don't think that that's the case, but I don't want, anyway, that's not the conversation we're having. Yeah. But Logan, like he's, he's doing that well and he's like doing flashy things as well. He's like 12th in MLB in strikeouts right now, which is the kind of number that like draws attention to yourself. Yeah. As it pertains to Gilbert, I think we forget with pitchers specifically, how long it can often take a pitcher to reach like their apex or their prime, so to speak. Um, there's a lot of pitchers out there. You know, you look up any really good pitcher and you will most likely find that they had, you know, a few pretty good seasons to start their career. And then they really kind of turned it into gear. I mean, Felix is an example of this. Felix, although he hit the big leagues at a younger age than Logan Gilbert did, you know, Felix didn't have his first like really good season until his fourth big league season when he was 22. <laughs> um, and then uh, 2009 was his fifth big league season when he was almost a Cy Young winner. So, you know, for Gilbert, I think it's definitely premature to say after wa watching him last year, you know, that is the pitcher who he is because pitchers just continue to evolve as they, you know, reach their mid and late twenties. Um, and so because of that, I'm more inclined to believe that this is kind of what Logan Gilbert might be. Um, I, I feel pretty good about watching him. I agree with what you guys said about the strike up, the strikeout stuff being up. Although, you know, that shouldn't necessarily be surprising when you consider his pedigree. He went to a very small school, of course, Stetson university, that also famously had Jacob deGrom. He was putting up like crazy strikeout numbers there, of course, against not great competition, but he would have like 14, 15 strikeouts a game. He was a strikeout artist. You know, this was not a guy who, when the Mariners drafted him was a control guy. Uh, like George Kirby kind of was. This is a guy who was known for having really elite stuff. And that's what made him a, a middle of the first round guy in the first place. So to see him kind of realize that in the big leagues, I, I do think there is some truth to it. Yeah, he's he's just, he's been so much more complete as well, right? Like a lot of players can look at like 
I don't know, a thousand Astros relievers that only pitch 20 innings over the course of the year who are striking out the world, but also like either walking a lot of people or giving up a lot of hard contact. It's like, it's hard to do it all at once. And um, that's what Logan's been. He's like, his contact is still a little bit below average, but I think that works when the strikeouts and walks are where they are. Um, and it, it's given me a lot of hope about his long-term prospects too, because I, I worry about, fastball centric pitchers that if they lose their velocity the whole thing kind of falls apart and so i've sort of thought like you know people talk about ex- like wanting to extend logan gilbert and i'm just a little more cautious about that because you don't know what it's, he's gonna you obviously you don't know what anybody's gonna look like six years from now but i think especially with pitchers who are as reliant on having a really good fastball like you really don't know what that looks like but if his secondaries are as damaging as they've been so far, especially if the splitter is as good as it seems to be, um, you know, it gives me hope that even if he, his fastball comes down a little bit, he will still be a, a good pitcher. And then in these years where his fastball is this good, he could be one of the best pitchers in baseball for a few years. It's, or it's too early to say that that is likely, but like there's a very real possibility of that at the moment. I love that point because he tried to mix up his pitch mix last year and wound up. I don't want to say the results were bad. They weren't. He had a great season, but he wound up relying on the fastball because I think the the general consensus from him was that he didn't feel like he was getting the results and couldn't command it as well. Him reverting back to that and, and finding new success with the secondaries, I do think is a really big deal because like you said, you know, young pitchers, when you can throw at 98, you know, when you're gassing it up, you can live a little bit on the velocity and the fastball. Um, as we saw with Kirby last night, when you don't have the command and your fastball is just a tiny tick off. Like all of a sudden stuff starts coming undone really quick. And I feel much better about him as, you know, we don't talk about him as an ace. And when he was drafted, the Jared Weaver comp was the thing thrown out. And like Jared Weaver was never an ace. He was, he was, you know, like the, the number three pitcher on good rotations. And that was it for Logan to be better than that, for him to surpass the expectations that have been set for him. Like he's done so far, he needed to develop at the major league level um, in a way that the Mariners kind of haven't demanded of anyone. And basically yet in the DePoto era, and um, I think that he's proving this season, if this season is not a fluke, if he finishes the year on this kind of trajectory, he's arguably the biggest success story in their draft history of this particular regime. in in my opinion, anyway, mm-hmm. um, that's all like, that's awesome. There's not, there's nothing to dislike about this. Um, and the question now, like you said, is how much further in the future do you want to keep him? It's a, it's a question of, do we think he can sustain this? Is his longevity where we want it to be that we want to invest in him long-term? Those are better questions than is he a three win pitcher? And I, I've, I'm happy I was wrong. Cause I legitimately figured last year was kind of the ceiling for Logan and that he was going to oscillate between, you know, maybe three and four wins in his, his prime seasons, but he looks like he can be better than that. And that's, that's exceptional. It really is. It, it goes from the, like, you know, you were talking, as you were talking about what can happen with fastball centric pitcher, if it like falls apart a little bit, I was just thinking about Bryce Miller the whole time. And like, he will have a blow up one of these days and like potentially soon. And that's what it's going to look like. Logan Gilbert is turning into the kind of pitcher who can manage when something's not working in a way that like Luis Castillo can manage when something's not working. And that is what makes a pitcher exceptional. I do think on the aging well front, you make a good point about how George Kirby is very likely to age well, specifically because as a contact suppressor that he's turned into, you know, as his velocity declines, he is more likely to be able to kind of make it work anyway. My question for you, Zach, I know you said you wouldn't be interested in extending Logan Gilbert for the reasons that you outlined. Would you then be interested in in extending George Kirby? There is really no reason that you should put a pitcher on longer than a five-year deal, except that sometimes you have to in order to beat the market. But like, that's just really far out to project a pitcher. And right now, George Kirby is under team control for another five years after this one. And so I just don't see there being... I, I think it's a very high-risk proposition, and I would wait another year or two before wanting to commit farther than that. But I do I think that, that Kirby is like the... I, I don't know. Coming into the year, if I... what? How do I want to put this? 
if I knew what I know now about George Kirby and knew what I knew at the beginning of the season about Logan Gilbert, I would say George Kirby was the better extension candidate. Gilbert has risen in my estimation, so I think potentially he might be. But in any event, I think wait on both of them before you do that. I like your point about how you shouldn't sign a starting pitcher for more than five years. My honest opinion is that that's kind of the ceiling for what an extension is going to be in most cases. Like you might see if they were to extend George Kirby today and they're not going to, this is, this is purely speculating and and hypothetical. They were to sign him today. He might get something like a seven year contract. That's only because he's currently under contract for five more years. If he was a free agent, we would be talking about less. And as an extension candidate, really, if we are going to figure another two years goes by, it's 2025. We're talking about an extension for him. We're still talking about five years. So I think that realistically, they're not likely to give anybody longer contracts than that, in my estimation, on the pitching side. I think that that's a pretty, the way that they have set it up where they're going to extend these guys and give them, you know, like an an RB or two plus a year or two of free agency. I think they have it set up well. So I'm not worried about whether or not the Mariners extend these guys yet because they're going to have their pick of whoever they want the way things are going. Oh, no, go ahead. Um, I was saying they can, they can take their pick. You know, they're going to have Logan. They're going to have they're going to have George. Bryce Miller might be up for an extension in a couple years here. Like they're, they have options. That's not even including the fact that we do have legitimate starting pitching prospects in Brian Wu and Emerson Hancock and even Taylor Dollard who haven't debuted yet. And as Durs has pointed out before, would probably be playing on some other major league teams right now. I'm well, pretty sure Emerson Hancock could pitch for the A's right now. Well, any, I mean, Rick Riz could pitch for the A's right now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I did, think the did, way you want Hancock to structure... give up less than seven runs per game because that would make him a strong candidate for the rotation. <laughs> Good Lord. It's like, truly, I've been following baseball pretty closely for like 30 years. I cannot, well, maybe not that closely when I was like eight, but, you know, following baseball. I cannot remember a pitching staff this bad. Like even like the pre-Strasburg Nats and like those like the O three Tigers. Like I, it is a true tire fire. Um, with the extensions on the pitchers, I think what you would want to do is is do something where you provide them some guaranteed money for the years that they are currently under team control in exchange for getting some cheaper team options for the years after that. Um, and I think that's a good trade off because just as like the team might be hesitant to commit to a long-term deal because, um, you know, pitchers are hard to project and they can all go wrong. Like if you are willing to guarantee them some money, like they also face such high risk because every pitch could be the last pitch any pitcher throws um, in a way that's just like not quite as true of hitters, but we should get, we should get Grant back on the podcast and talk about extending the pitchers. Thinking actually about I'm, I'm down to have Grant on a lot. If we want to bring him on like recurring on the weekends, I'd, I'd love to have him on more. His perspective I think is really valuable to the pot. Um, but here's what I think we should do. In the interest of time, we're going to do a shorter episode today because Durs is on the clock. Anders, do you have anything else that you wanted to get to today? Any other subjects before we dive into JK? Because we're always we're always going to get to Jared Kelnick on the spot. But I wanted to see if you have anything else to talk about. I think it's worth revisiting the Jose Caballero thing um, because on the, the last episode of the podcast, I very famously said that, and I think Zach also said this, so I'm going to throw you under this bus with me, Zach. That oh, I'll we, stand by it. <laughs> we both said that Jose Caballero has no power and then the next two games he hit two home runs. So hats off to you Jose Caballero. My question to you guys is has your has your evaluation changed on him in the last couple of weeks? It's interesting they've now played Colton Wong I think in back-to-back games now. Um do you guys now think that Jose Caballero could slash should be the starting second baseman for the Mariners for the rest of the season or do you still think of him as just a very useful utility player? Well, those are not mutually exclusive concepts because um, given the Mariner second base situation, a very useful utility player should be the Mariner starting second baseman when the alternative is Colton Wong. So I still think he should be getting all the starts, even as my estimation of him has not changed. Um, he, I still think it is true that like as a hitter, he does not hit the ball hard enough probably to be an everyday player like that could change. But the fact that he hit a a home run off of Kyle Muller does not change my opinion about that. Um, (laughs) Like, look, Jose Caballero is a fun story. He's a guy who's easy to root for. He's off to a hard, uh, a hot start. It's like, I I'm not down on Jose Caballero in any way. I just think like we, he has not been good enough for long enough for us to, 
have expectations of him as like a real everyday player. His is his history as a prospect is not good enough for that. Um, and some of that, like if you listen to the miners podcast, like some of it is just pedigree. And like, once you're on track as a prospect of note, it's much easier to stay that way than it is to become one. And so some of it is that, but um, you know, he just, he's like never really hit for power. And I think that it, especially league adjusted and that just continues to cause me some hesitation. And also like, even as he hit those two home runs, I think there's been some sloppiness this past week that we have not seen out of him before. And it's sloppiness that is normal for a rookie, but is nonetheless like the seams are starting to show a little bit. He had that horrible, you know, potentially game losing misplay at third base. Um, there have been like several ground balls to him at second base, which is a position he should be much more comfortable at where he waited for the ball to come for, to him instead of charging the ball. And the play at first turned out to be pretty like much closer than it should have been. And those were outs. So it didn't get a lot of attention. And, but I'm sure Perry Hill noticed that. And it's, it's sloppy. He got picked off the other day. And I was really mad about that actually, because he, he walked and I think he was either the first or second batter of the inning. And then the pitching coach came out to talk for a mound visit. And like, I, I don't know what he thought that mound visit was about. Like it was not trying to plan the attack against JP Crawford, you know, like that mound visit was about the fact that Jose Caballero was on base and that should have been clear. And I, I'm upset that he was not paying closer attention to that and being more cautious out there. And so I, I really do put that pick off on him. And, um, you know, again, like that's not that big of a deal. He gave up one out, but it is, you know, so far we've like basically only seen him do great things. And that has not been true this week, even as the home runs have been hit this week. No, I think that's a good point. I think that's why Colton Wong has had the, the two starts since. I just want, I agree with you for what it's worth, but I just wanted to level set because I think we are getting, you know, if, if we didn't talk about it, there are people who I think are feeling the other way about it. And that's fine. If you think that Jose Caballero is like the Mariners second baseman of the present and like the next couple of years, like power to you. I hope you're right. Uh, Cause that would make things a lot easier for the Mariners, but I just, I'm with you, Zach. I'm not inclined to believe that he is. I think he could certainly be a piece for this team for the next, mm-hmm. you know, four or five years. Um, in in the way that you know we mentioned on the last episode, Sam Haggerty is or has been. Um, but yeah, I think at this moment I would prefer to see him in the lineup than Colton Wong. I don't even know what they're going to do about Colton Wong. I am kind of the heading toward the let's DFA him bucket of things uh, when Dylan Moore comes back in the next couple of days. Um, but I don't know how they'd feel about having like two righties at second base. They're probably just going to send Haggerty down yeah I don't uh, think you have to so so why would you yeah. like they're not using Haggerty and he hasn't played well enough to like earn the spot on the 26 man so yeah just send Haggerty down it's just so weird they have three second basemen on the roster and they're going to here again I know that Kavi is that, is that weird that's like <laughs> do they have three second basemen or do they have zero second basemen? <laughs> that's exactly right the whole Jerry DePoto regime is having too many and also not enough second basemen right this is true um yeah and, and like i like i was saying like i think more will probably see a lot of outfield reps i think that caballero you know he spells jp at short um he spells um suarez at third he, maybe one of the two of them plays first base sometimes because i guess like Haggerty was the backup first baseman um i Demo just don't can play first base for real yeah i think I think the ideal roster construction is to have two of the three of those guys and then just bring up Mike Ford because that's a better hitter anyway. And I don't know, maybe you disagree, but I would rather have Mike Ford as like a pinch hitting option on the bench and a first base backup as opposed to having more or Haggerty or Caballero do that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's probably right. I do think that's the part of the roster where you're just like tinkering a little bit and it's not really going to solve any problems in the way that like as far as returning to form and Julio rounding back in are like the actual problems. So. Yeah, we're talking about like two tenths of a win <laughs> right now. Yeah, which can matter, you know, I mean, given the hole that the Mariners are in, like that may be the difference. But, um, you know, it's not like the Mariners are in the position the Rangers are in or the Astros are in and they can just sort of like 
not care about those decisions. But yeah, Caballero, I, I am rooting for him hard. I hope it works out. I love his at-bats. They are so fun to watch. That is so unusual on this roster. And so I really hope that it works out. But I just think like expectation setting, I think you are setting yourself up to be disappointed if you're hoping for more than that. Yeah, you actually said the point I was going to make, which is that Caballero is walking 14% of the time and striking out 20% of the time. That on this particular roster is so good like it's so unusual it's um, so th- damning that the guy yeah. putting up the most professional uh, plate appearances is the rookie like that is uh, well jp too but like embarrassing it's really for everybody else yeah, yeah. And, and the mariners john said the other day that teoscar hernandez plate appearances are like him playing a baseball video game like the show where you swing at every pitch um the mariners in general kind of have an offense like that where they just they don't see a lot of pitches they swing at everything and he has been like the antithesis of that and i don't think he's a 40 percent better than league average hitter like that seems inflated to me even if there's not obvious indicators for that anywhere in his profile so far and it's entirely possible that he has months or years at a time where he's just not very valuable. You know, we're seeing this with Sam Haggerty right now. When he doesn't hit, he's suddenly a zero and like disappears for, for basically months at a time from the roster. Um, but Caballero is, is, a, is a fun story so far. I'm rooting for him. I think that he probably deserves to play second base. Is he a long-term answer? I definitively think no. I think the ideal situation, honestly, is that he usurps Sam Haggerty for that spot. Because if if Caballero is your starting guy, it's just kind of a low ceiling, right? Like I don't I don't know how else to put it. He's not he's not going to blow the world away. In a best case scenario, he's going to play like he's played so far, and he's going to be worth you know like what? Like he's a three win player over the course of the year, something like that, with this kind of current rate. Oh, max, yeah. And I mean, that's great. Like that's no no lie. That's really good. The Mariners got four wins last year out of their utility players. If they got three of those out of Caballero this year. That's good because they've got nothing out of anybody else so far. We'll take it. But I don't think he's more than that. And I don't mean to be down on him saying that, but I don't see I don't see a starter here. Do you guys see a starter here long term? What what he's done is he has played himself into deserving the opportunity to prove it one way or the other. True. True. And that's part partly that is because again, three second baseman, no second baseman, you know. Yeah, but I think irrespective of that, like he has played well enough that like he should be getting everyday at bats and we should be finding out, you know, that's I I think it would be unfair to him to not be giving him the chance to show whether this is real or not, because it looks close enough to real. And um, again, like the the professionalism of of the at bats is. uh, I think something they should be encouraging right like they should show guys hey you know we this is what we want out of you and if this is what you're doing you know you will be rewarded for it and i think the the team rewarding a player for doing that is a good message to send to everybody else agreed and we need somebody else on the roster besides jp taking a pitch once in a while because you do see those mariners innings where three guys go up and down in seven pitches and it's just like it's not tenable as a recipe for success and so having somebody in there to extend the lineup a little bit take some pitches walk a little bit honestly is a salve on this offense um before we talk about JK, I do want to point out that Julio is batting over 350 over the last week, including last night. Um, so for all the people out there panicking about Julio, just hang in there. Like it's gonna everything's gonna be fine. Julio is still one of the top five players in, in baseball. You know what was funny was um Scott did pregame comments, I believe it was yesterday, and they were talking about Julio, and he goes, Yeah, Julio's the best player on our team, one of the top five players in baseball, and we're not worried about him at all. It's one thing for me to say that as a fanboy, right? Like as a as a rabid Julio fan, as a podcaster about the Mariners, it's one thing for me to say he's that good. It's another thing for the manager of the team to say about the guy hitting what 200, 220 these days. Oh, he's the best player on our team. It's not close. Hey, he's up to two thirty three. Just so you know, like he was at two hundred two, I think before the A series, but he's back. There up you there. go. But you, you you get my point, like. It's pretty remarkable that our manager and our team knows what he is and has zero question that he is that talented. So if you're if you're ever wondering about Julio, if you're you know, if he has another rough month and you're like, I don't know, they don't 
they don't have any questions internally. They know what he is. They believe he is that good. I feel yeah. very reassured hearing Scott say, nope, he's the best. He's the best player on the team. Doesn't matter yeah. who's hitting Julio. Is the, he is the best player on the team. And that is the end of that discussion. Yeah, I have no doubts about Julio. It just makes me sad when he is not performing up to the level that he can be. Yeah. And it's, it's, but that's very different, right? It's like the Mariners as a whole. You know, it's like, I don't really not believe in them. It just like makes me kind of sad that they are where they are and like that their playoff odds have slipped to like one in five, which is just not that good. But I still <sighs> think they're very good. I think it's a good team still. Yeah. They're still, they're still in it. They just they're still the right in the middle of it. It's there actually close to one in four now for the record. It's at 23.1%. Yeah. Well, moving up. I would never doubt the computer. <laughs> well in the interest of time we got 10 minutes left let's do our jared final MVP segment watch. for today jared mvp watch zach you did a breakdown of 11 games 11 games 11 games and 11 more games and i think he's played another five or six games since then but you broke down yeah. jared's performance kind of in a in a quarterly over the first quarter section as it were cross section why don't you break that down for us yeah, well, I, I've broken it down into 10s for this podcast because he's up to 49 games now. Um, and so that's just like a little bit cleaner. So I'm going to say first 10, next 10, next 10, next 10, last nine. Uh, this is his WRC plus over those periods. 192, 183, 115, 82, 118. So, you know, I think what you see there is that he is climbing out of the hole. Um, and the last three games have been pretty bad. He's got seven strikeouts over three games. That's not what you want to see. Um, I think anybody who's envisioning, uh, like, just don't, just don't imagine Jared Kelnick as a guy who's ever really going to have his strikeouts under control. Like, he's a guy who's going to strike out a lot. I think it's clear at this point, after these many plate appearances, that that is going to be a part of his game. But, um, and so, like, guys with strikeout rates that high are going to have a few games in a row where it goes bad. But like as a whole, I think he is, he is climbing out from under the adjustment that he was having to make there in like early May. Um, you know, two of the strikeouts in these games are like, that I, I just think of off the top of my head. One was a, a called third strike outside the zone. And one was a check swing that he definitely did check. And you know, that happens to everybody. So whatever, but I just, I'm not that worried about the, the last three games because on the whole, I think this period has been really good. They're just, they're pitching him so hard, you know, like he's getting the best stuff out of everybody. And I think deservedly because he's been the best hitter on the team so far, but, um, you know, adjusting for the quality of what he's seeing, I think he's performing even better. Like, you know, we, Rick Riz could pitch for the A's like Rick, Rick Riz could strike out to Oscar Hernandez right now. And Jared is instead like striking out on a lot of like pitchers pitches. And I think his, his swing decisions continue to be good. And the contact that he's making continues to be outstanding on the whole. Not every ball is obviously like well struck, but on average, his contact is incredible. Um, he's like got one pop up. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's hard because like we're doing this this segment at a down point where he's coming off of three bad games. But I think actually his like recent play with like a slightly longer lens is actually pretty encouraging. Even in those three bad games, too, his defense has been outstanding and he got intentionally walked. Which, which oh, my I God. Is I the first time forgot to bring career. that up. Yeah, <laughs> they intentionally walked him and not in a like uh, set up the force kind of intentional walk. They set up, they intentionally walked him because they didn't want to face him, which is indicative of like the fact that they are throwing their best stuff at him and like, you know, putting their best pitchers in against him and, and doing, you know, pitchers are wearing back a little bit harder because they know who they're facing. Like it's because they don't want to, don't want to face him. And like, I, I forgot it because it didn't get enough attention. And this is the, the automatic intentional walk right? That like that rule change that was made a few years ago. I think there was a lot of discussion around um, the pros and cons of that. And on the cons list, like a lot of the things that people were worried would be lost were like when people screwed up and somebody managed to take an extra base because like they couldn't even hit the, the pitcher couldn't even hit the mid or like when they would try to fool a batter and actually throw a strike or when a hitter would like get a hit off of a, an intentional walk pitch, which was always fun and all that's true. But one thing that I had not considered was that 
like it deprives the broadcast of an opportunity to talk about it for a while and like the decision going into it and what it says about the player. And I feel like what happened on Thursday was like, all of a sudden Jared was just on first base and we were talking about the next hitter. And that's, um, I think we would all have noticed the intentional walk much more deeply, even as I'm sure it like didn't escape anybody's attention. It's like, that was a big moment that they intentionally walked Jared in like a very real way. Yeah. I I think that, you know, this is kind of the point where Jared is no longer the shiny new toy where he was in the first few weeks of April. And we're like, Oh my God, this is incredible. This is now the point where like, I think we have kind of started to take the fact that he is on the team, that he is good for granted. I'm seeing a lot of hand wringing online about the fact that his WRC plus is like around a hundred, which is like not, or for, for the month of May, I should be clear, which is like not a bad month. I mean, hitters have a lot worse months than that. Um, And, and for Kelnick, especially that's like pretty, pretty okay. Um, So I'm not concerned about him in the slightest. And, And as you mentioned, like he's seeing a lot of really good stuff. I don't really know how I feel about him in the in the four spot. And I think that's just like a. I think maybe that's like a a bias on my part from like I'm used to seeing like a big beefy slugger in the four spot and Kelnick while he's hitting home runs is like not that he's got a lot of speed and stuff. And so for me, it's just kind of weird to see him in that spot. I I think that I would be kind of putting together this lineup a little bit differently than than the team currently is like I would even consider putting Julio Jared one two. Um, but I know that kind of exposes you in a lot of places. Cause then like, who's the four hitter then like Suarez, like, I don't, you know, there's, there's like a lot of weirdness after that, if you do that. Um, but I, I kind of wonder if they're going to play around with that lineup spot for those two players specifically for the rest of the season. Like, I feel like we could see any combination of those two guys anywhere in the one through five spots, like between now and September. Um, so I I, I kind of wonder if they're trying to play around with the spots to see where those two guys hit the best. Well, and Scott right now, loves it seems like to mess with the lineup. <laughs> he does, and right now, I mean, Julio is doing very well in the three spot. So I, I kind of don't think they're going to move Julio off the three spot specifically. But Kelnick, you know, he's seeing a lot of you know the the he's seeing a lot of cleanup hitter treatment in the four spot. Does it make more sense to move him to the two? Um, you know, but France has kind of like held that down. You know, he he's basically like glued to that spot at this point. So I don't know. I, I think a lot of it is also I'm not in love with JP in the one spot. Um, I, I think he's, as you guys pointed out, like putting together the most professional at bats. And that's why you put him there is because, you know, he's going to get a good at bat. He's going to see a lot of pitches. He's going to allow the, the, the team to see pitches from that guy. You know, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but I, <laughs> I don't have a strict opinion on this, I guess, at this point, uh, even though I just said that I would like them to be one, two, but I, I think right now it makes sense where they are. Yeah. I think, uh, it will continue to evolve over the course of the season. Scott service never does the same lineup twice. Um, it is his, his greatest contribution to the discourse is allowing people to talk about the lineup as much as they do. Um, because people love that and you love that and I love that. And I just think it's like, nobody's allowed to call Scott service boring when like, because just cause he's not out there as a poster doesn't mean he's not out there like providing content for the posters. So cut him a break. I think sometimes he's trolling us with these lineups, but yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. General... I, think he, I think he enjoys it. I think he knows what he's doing. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. And uh, to Durs's point, I, I agree that, I'd rather not see Jared in the cleanup spot, but the the Mariners don't have a typical cleanup hitter like Ty France sort of, but he's really more of a two, three guy because he doesn't quite have the power. Even if he has like the bat to ball skills on base percentage and JP is kind of like a typical leadoff hitter, but also you'd rather have him at the back of the lineup. There's a lot of weirdness in in the way the Mariners can construct their lineup, but. In the interest of time, let's not get into that today. Any other final thoughts for today, guys? Uh, yeah, can I just tee up? Everybody watch how Bryce Miller receives the ball back from the catcher. It's delightful. Ooh. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll be paying attention. Anything else, Durs? I'm excited to see our three homegrown youngsters face off against the Bronx Bombers. Um, next yeah. Week. Oh, yeah. What a series. Bryce Miller, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, right? In that against the Yankees? Yep. That's awesome. At home, you know, I we're kind of to the point in the season where last year the Mariners won 14 games around this time. They're probably not going to do that this year. I'm about a month away from that. 
about a month away from that. But, you know, like uh, there isn't any reason why they couldn't turn it up a little bit at home over these couple series. And I'd like to see them win against the Pirates. I just want to say uh, real quick, sorry, the 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 next stretch up until the All-Star game for the Mariners is actually going to be kind of tough. They only have two really easy series from here until the All-Star game. They have a three game set against Detroit and a three game set against the Nats. And then they have 10 other series, which are varying levels of difficult um i think maybe the giants are like the most winnable series outside of that but they play a lot of tough you know they play the yankees they play the padres they play the astros they play the rangers they play the angels it's going to be a tough grind here and if the mariners put together a good stretch that'll be really exciting well it will be their first one against actual competition you know they're they're 10 and 0 (laughs) against the a's and the rockies and 16 and 25 against everybody else you know God bless the A's. I'm going to really miss <laughs> playing them all summer. It's been so nice. Yeah. Oh, all right. I'm Evan. You can find me on Twitter at Evan James Audio. You can find Zach at Real Zach Mason. You can find Anders at Anders Jorstad. Uh, you can find the podcast at Meet at the Mitt Podcast. I don't think we've actually tweeted from that yet, but we are going to get that kicked off. We've got some new branding going on for that in the works. Um, shout out to our sponsor, McDougal Bats. Use the code GOEMS, GOMS at checkout. You can save $15, get a little kickback for the pod. Everybody wins. Uh, that's it for today. Go Mariners playing the Pirates tonight for the next two games. And then the New York Yankees coming to town, Bronx Bombers. Uh, the kids are pitching. This is a good time for baseball. It is beautiful outside, summer weather. Go Mariners. Love the sunshine. We will see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.